Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a heartbeat, this podcast is for you. You have been called to communion. We have been called to communion. You have been given the mission of bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Eucharist. So each episode of New Manna will consist of two things, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a conversation about a bite-sized piece of a papal document pertaining to the Eucharist and worship. So today, I am joined by Father Jamie Zars and Father Quentin Schmitz and Father Arul Karasala. Gentlemen, welcome. Great Thank to you. be with you. This is fun. So good. So good to be here. So for all of our listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're at, what's your assignment. I'm Father Arul Karasala. I've been serving in the Archdiocese for almost 20 years, and I've been pastor here at St. Peter and Paul for 12, this is my 12th year. And as I continue to serve, and my most of the ministry has been in the Nimaha Marshall region only, and I love the rural community, and which edifies me with the faith of our community, and especially as we are venturing into the Eucharistic revival, and I'm happy to be here and share my faith as well, especially my priesthood and the Eucharist are together mm. to join you as well. Amen. Thank Thanks, you. Father. We let Father Arul go first because he's our senior. So, <laughs> uh, I'm Father Quentin Schmitz, and I've been a priest. Uh, this is uh, nine years as a priest, and so uh, a couple of different uh, assignments, and now I'm at St. Gregory and St. Malachi, uh, so just uh, west of Father Arul by about um, 30 minutes or so, uh, just down the road, also in a rural parish at this time. So, Sweet. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah, so my name is Father Zars, and I, I come from the land of Sabetha, Wetmore, in Fidelity, Kansas, nice. which is to say the land of Oz, a very small, come on, very very small community. I'm we're very I'm very proud of my my family, my my parish families. So I'm the pastor of Sacred Heart in Sabetha, St. James in Wetmore, St. Augustine in Fidelity, Kansas, and I'm also the director of Totus Tuus for the Archdiocese. And what is Totus Tuus? It's an apostolate that really flows out of the heart of John Paul II and Our Lady. It's an apostolate that just seeks in the summer months to serve week by week in various parishes throughout the archdiocese. It's it's ongoing catechesis and faith formation mm -hmm. for our young people. Cool. And it happens. So it's ongoing. It's not just in the summertime. You know what? It's all, just year by year okay. in the summer months. We have teams of four that go out almost like focused missionaries. Okay. And they're just striving to to, to really bring the, the, the beauty of our faith to our young people in the right. summer months. Amen. It's so good. Totus Tuus, I know, has blessed so many people here in the area, and um, I, I know that they're going to continue to bless so many people. So thank you for pastoring that. Thank you for shepherding that. So guys, I want to know, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where did your journey of falling in love with Jesus in the Eucharist start, and what happened? I was in the third grade when I had my first communion, and back in those days, the bishops were rare to come to the parish, and whenever that happens, they also combined that with the sacrament of confirmation. 
So I remember to this day very clear, I had my first communion and the confirmation on the same day by an archbishop of our native home diocese in India. So you are so you were born and raised in India, is that right? Yes, I am. What was the tell us about the church in India? You know, the church in India, I would if I have to compare it, it goes back to the time of the apostles. Mm. Saint Thomas, popularly known as the Doubting Thomas, he came to India and it's been verified because of the East in, in India relationship where ships going back and forth to Eastern countries. Mm-hmm. And he came in one of those ships and and he came and he served and he died as a martyr. And there are only three basilicas in the world that are built on the tombs of the apostles. One of is St. Thomas. He's buried in the basilica of my native home diocese. Wow. And I just want to, I just want to stand up for St. Thomas because you know, he gets a bad rap doubting and stuff, yeah. but he's the only disciple who says, let's go to Jerusalem with him to yeah. die with him. He's the only one with that kind of zeal. So just want to say that. I want to supplement that one as well. He built a little chapel close to the ocean out there. Then the fishermen around him told him at that time, you're building this too close to the water. The water may come up and destroy this structure. Mm. He took a pole and planted it halfway between the church and the water. And he told those people, evidently this is a story that's coming out. And he told the people, this water will never cross this pole. Mm. And you know, back in 2004, we had the huge tsunami. And even the tsunami did not damage any part of the structure of the church. That's amazing. Unbelievable. But, but on both sides of the, of the basilica, the structures were damaged. Even the boats were tossed like one mile wow. inland. But just then they had gone through a major renovation of the Basilica. Wow. They put a basement with all the relics of St. Thomas in there. There's a nice museum and where you can go and see the tomb. Just been completed and the tsunami struck within days after the dedication. Wow. But nothing happened to the Basilica. That all just reminds me of something out of the Lord of the Rings, you shall not pass. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more natural than creation obeying the creator, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like the elements being suspended, like mm-hmm. laws of physics can be suspended because the Lord is bigger than physics. Come on. That's so good. So getting back to our, my first communion and the confirmation, I remember very clear to this day, I ran a temperature pretty high as 104 degrees that day. That's quite the fever. <laughs> quite the fever. Yeah. And, and it is... Like uh, I was shivering the whole night before I didn't sleep good and, and taking the Lord first time in my, in my life. And it was an amazing experience. And physically, I became sick that day. From then on, I had the strong reverence for the Eucharist every time we get prepared. That led me to the, my priesthood as well. Mm. And as well as my family, of course, gave a good encouragement and example, right. leading me to the church and to the faith. So you, you had First Communion and you became a priest. Is there an in-between there somewhere or? <laughs> what was that like growing up and, and feeling that call? So back in those days, uh, we had this called the apostolic schools. Mm. It's like a place of discernment. You can continue your high school education being part of the, uh, going through the system of the apostolic school. Okay. Where I spent uh, my ninth grade up to the high school graduation, four years in that type of structure. Mm. That's where you almost discerned to become the priest, and which I did. Then joined the seminary later then the rest is all history. The rest is history. I'm here. How did you get here? Well, I think they were flying around and found a place to drop me and they never <laughs> found <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not man. really. Um, I came one summer 
uh, in 2000, when the Archbishop Kelker was the Archbishop of our Archdiocese mm -hmm. and wanted to spend summer, and I did spend at Holy Name in Topeka with Father Harry Schneider, and we got along really well, and I I helped him at the parish ministry. Then I, that time, Father Harry took me to the Archbishop, and the Archbishop requested that I come back and serve here in the Archdiocese. Mm. And my bishop at the time did not allow. Then I came back another time in 2002. By then I served at Holy Spirit in Overland Park, mm -hmm. where Father Schneider was pastor there. Then I went back after that summer, and I came back to serve in the Archdiocese in 2004. Okay. And I have served here more number of years than back in my home diocese now. Hey, how about that? <laughs> so this is home then? Would you, say, would you say it's home? It is home. I would call that home. You know, Father Arul is one of the most talented priests. He seems to know everybody's name up here in Nemaha County. It's unbelievable. In just 12 years, he seems to have met everyone, knows everyone's name. It's really beautiful. But I have to share a story yeah, hear it. about this wonderful priest. So. Once upon a time, I came over here for confession with Father Arul, and I, as I was making my way into the rectory to try to find him, there was a there was a gentleman from India that was just sitting in the kitchen. And I said, "Good morning," and I asked him, "Do you know where Father Arul is?" And this wonderful this wonderful Indian gentleman, he told me, "I, I believe that he is upstairs." Well, after the fact, later on, Father Arul, you shared with me who this wonderful gentleman was. Who was this gentleman sitting in your kitchen? Bishop Anthony Pula. Hmm. who became the Metropolitan Archbishop of Hyderabad, and now is the Cardinal Anthony Pula. Well then. So whenever you step into Father Arul's <laughs> rectory, you must be ready. You never know who you're going to run into. This is what I've discovered. He seems to know everybody. That's so exciting. And here we are storming the basement today, hanging out in Father Arul's house. So good. Oh, we have a nice house here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to welcome you all here. So thank you so much for your your story, Father. Um, uh, Father Quinton, would you like what take us back to the beginning for you? What was it like? Sure. Yeah. And uh, mine would be a little bit after Father Rule. So after receiving First Communion, um, I was at St. Michael's in Axtell, uh, a rural parish as well. And I think we got started pretty early serving, if I remember right. So I don't know if it would have been third or fourth grade. Uh, and that was a special time for me. And I can remember at first I was pretty nervous uh, learning how to serve. Didn't know if I wanted to be up there in front of anybody making sure, mistakes. Sure. And um, the priest that was there said, you know, hey, why don't you just come in during the week and serve some daily masses? Um, you know, there's not that many people here. You don't have sure. to worry about making a mistake. And so that kind of drew me in uh, to, yeah, just to learn how to serve. But in the midst of all of that uh, was being able to be, you know, close to the Eucharist um, to experience what daily mass was like and uh, to, yeah, when we pray for our daily bread to kind of take that in uh, as a young child. So that was, yeah, pretty special. And even to the point, sometimes I would bike into town to, to serve. We lived a couple miles outside of town, three miles or so. And um, it was kind of a neat experience to do that, too. Cool. What did your uh, what did your family do? Were your parents have jobs? Where, where were they involved yep. in? They work in the town that we're in right now. So okay. Seneca, <laughs> they have a printing business here oh, in Seneca. Right on. Right on. And, uh, that, but at that time we were at St. Michael's in Axtell. Um, so it's not far away from here either. What was your, uh, what was your, like any big influences, uh, for you in, in like any models in the faith that you were just like, man, watching them, seeing this happen, they have something that I want or anything like that. Yeah, uh, family's always been big for me. Both of my parents are great examples. Uh, taught CCD, uh, very active in the church. 
think my dad at that time probably was on the, I think the pastoral council over there at St. Michael's. Um, and so they always were encouraging to us, uh, to a life of prayer, um, great examples to us, uh, in the home of mm-hmm. what a life of faith looks like, uh, made sure we were at mass. That was not an option for us. Yeah. Uh, but that really developed into a, a love, uh, for the mass and for the Eucharist. And what was, uh, voc- I mean, you're, you're a priest as well, obviously. So like, how did that, how did that get started? Yeah. And for me, it took a while. So I didn't enter seminary right away. Um, and I went through college and studied animal science at K-State uh, and then um, really needed some uh, conversion, uh, some growing in holiness sure. uh, to be able to experience uh, the call and to receive the call. And so really it was through deepening in prayer, um, uh, really through scripture uh, starting to do Lexio Divina long before I knew what Lexio Divina ever was, and uh, but encountering uh, God in the Word, and then really um, I, I moved back here into the Seneca Bailable area, uh, and um, actually this not too far from where a real encounter with the Eucharist began to occur for me um, was that Eucharistic adoration in this parish, mm-hmm. so perpetual adoration. And um, it used to be here in the church, I don't know, a couple hundred feet behind me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I would just start coming in and, and praying. And it's really there that a deepening of an encounter with the Lord, uh, growth uh, in, in desiring holiness mm-hmm. and striving for that, uh, growth in prayer, being able to receive in prayer. So, yeah, this parish has got a long history of uh, strong devotion to the Eucharist and kind of took that on a little bit. That's so good. Um, what was that uh, time of your life like? Um, wh- what season of life were you in when when the Lord just kind of started to, to work on you in the Eucharist and in, in, uh, in the chapel there? Yeah, I was after college. So I was just working at that time and I wasn't really sure. There was a lot of things going on in my mind of what is it I should do? I uh, enjoyed what I studied, but I felt like, I don't know, there was something out, else out there I was supposed to do. I'd, wouldn't have been able to tell you what it is. I, I love snow skiing. So I thought was maybe I was supposed to do that for a living. Kansas but is great for that. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to no. move away for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I did just countless things going through my mind of like, what is it? And then that allowed me then to start asking the question to God, instead of just letting that roll around in the mind and just say, well, God, what do you, you want me to do? Mm. And so there was a big transition there of uh, me just trying to think about things to really taking it to prayer and trying to receive. That's so good. Thank you, Father. Uh, Father Jamie, take us back to the beginning for you. What was little Jamie like and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the oldest of five and we moved a lot. So I moved nine times before I was in high school. The one thing that I remember as a child, kind of like Father Arul over here, I remember before my first Holy Communion, this was a big moment with dad. Mm. And I just, for all of the, all of you fathers that are listening out there, you just have no idea the power of your witness for your children, especially your sons. So I just remember my dad, who was my hero. He's a strong man. He's a confident man. He's a driver. Mm. Seeing this man genuflect before the blessed sacrament, kneel before the blessed sacrament, he would allow himself to be moved and to be stirred to tears in prayer. He was always trying to invite his children to come with him to adoration. I remember just wondering, like, what is going on here? Mm. 
why is dad, who is like this giant in my life, how is it that he is being drawn and stirred to be vulnerable? You know, what is, what is going on here? So I remember that was the first moment in my story. I, I did not yet possess faith in the real presence, but as a child, just right around first Holy communion, this was, this was like the moment that his witness began to really catch fire. Mm. I began to notice. And later mm. he would share that, you know, this was really the, the foundation and the bedrock for, for the marriage and the family and what's broken in the marriage or the family and all of the transitions and the moves and the secret for all of the, just the beautiful tragedy of raising children in this world and right. this time. It's so difficult, especially when you have five. So, you know, that was a big moment, but moving forward, I would say really it was college. Mm. So it was after playing soccer at Marquette University in the Big East, which was a, a dream. Go Eagles, is that right? That was, yeah, that's right. And Father Schmidt, sorry, yeah, go Cats, right? Go Cats. Go, okay, there we go. Yeah, so my my whole high school career, junior high, high school career, the dream, the mission, the focus, competitive athletics, get to the highest level, obtain a scholarship, go play in the Big East at the highest level. So no sooner does this happen than a beautiful grace begins to unfold I just don't have what it what it takes. I'm just not quite fast enough, strong enough, smart enough. I just really can't compete. And it was kind of a beautiful opportunity for me to come face to face with poverty. I just I just didn't have an answer and there was no solution. Mm. And it would at times bring out the worst in me. So from there, you know, this this girl that I was dating, I thought I was going to marry her because I was lacking in formation. I was there was a poverty in my heart and my character this relationship just fell apart and it was, it was because of my brokenness and my sinfulness and my poverty. So I say that this was all a grace because it opened up a new vista in my life Mm. where I realized I can't do this alone and I, I can't fix what's broken. So it was in that moment that the Lord brings these focused missionaries into my life Mm -hmm. and they invite me into friendship and good conversation. And again, like this was another big moment the way that these peers would kneel and genuflect Mm -hmm. and allow themselves to be stirred, even to the point of offering tears before the, it reminded me of my childhood. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, these guys remind me of my dad. Mm. And they're like drawing up these memories from my my past that are beginning to really mean something to me. Mm. So that really was in a big way through those small groups, through the gift of focus, and the chance. focus for our listeners who might not know, what is focus? Yeah. So the, the fellowship of Catholic university students, it started 25 years ago on the campus of Benedictine college with two professors in a small group. There you go. And it's since exploded in 25 years to involve 400 campuses, 400 parishes that are, it's gone international to Europe. Right. So these guys, the founders of this movement are a part of the pontifical council for the new evangelization. So good. So they're at the highest level. Well, these missionaries they really changed my life. And it wasn't because they were trying to to tell me what was wrong with me or to try to fix me and make me their project. It's because they invited me at my weakest point, at my lowest point into friendship and good conversation and praise God, they brought me to the blessed sacrament. Right, it's so good. I mean, I know Focus has impacted countless people. Like it's, I would, I would attribute Focus to having a, a massive role in my life as well. Uh, shout out to Zach McDermott. I don't know where he is or what he's doing now, but um, Focus Missionary and at KU there, he, yeah, uh, in a similar state, just in in poverty of, of uh, like involved with uh, college sports. I was on the baseball team. 
Um, but yeah, just him inviting me into, into friendship, into a small group. And that uh, led to an invite to Frisbee Fridays. And that led to me finding all of my dearest friends that I still have today. And um, so good. It's just so good. So Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What? So you, you have four siblings and your dad was going to adoration when you were uh, barely in grade school. Is that right? Yeah, it was all the way up. I mean, certainly if he wasn't actively engaged in taking someone to a sporting event or coming home or going to work and mm -hmm. traveling for business, right. he was absolutely making it a priority to get to the Adoration Chapel. Wow, that's amazing. Um, did he have, a, did he have a, a strong like faith upbringing himself or not to dive into it too much, I was just curious what Right. So, I mean, honestly, he would, if he were here, he would be the first to say it was, it was my faith was born from my poverty mm. and my brokenness and my sinfulness. Yeah. The Lord came for me and he saved me from myself. Wow. So it's just, it's a beautiful story. And I should say, I, I, I'm happy to admit that the apple has not fallen far from the tree, yeah. despite being a priest, that I would be truly lost without the gift of his presence right. in the blessed sacrament. Right. Amen. I want to know what what's your relationship like with the Eucharist today? Yeah, what role does the Eucharist play in your your daily life in the life of the church? I want to go back to where I grew up. Let's do it. Okay. So we had like a, it it not possible in the in the American culture. It may be foreign to you, but we did have a joint family structure. Mm. Grandpa was the head of the family, and he had six children and four boys and two girls, two girls, all of them were married. Mm -hmm. And he had like around 20 grandchildren within the vicinity there. Wow. Now, Grandpa was the catechist of the parish, and he would take all of us grandkids into the to the mass every day. Wow. It's only like a block away, walking distance, and we would walk up to the church. So back in those days, what he would do is, when he goes to the church, he would count number of rosaries and hang it in his hand, each one for the grandkids. So when we go into the church, he would have one of the rosary to each of the grandkids. Mm. And he knows if there is any rosary left in his hand, somebody's missing there. there you God go. bless that grandkid. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to get a breakfast that day. He's not getting food. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I watched him when he walks into the church, like as Father Zar said, his dad genuflecting my grandpa, even before opening the church, he would, he would kneel to the door and then open the church to get in, into the church. Wow. And he had all the respect and reverence that anyone can think about, imagine. And watching all that helped me to develop a strong devotion to the Eucharist and continue that respect towards the Eucharist as well. Wow. And Eucharist has been the central focus in my life. And I would say my grandpa has been a central um, lead example for me to think about even going to the seminary and becoming a priest. Mm. He would have liked to see more of his grandchildren become priests, but sure. And I think the the least one got selected to be the one. <laughs> how many how many people in your um, the region that you grew up? Do you, do you know how many like went to seminary or how, what what was the the rate of just ordination there? My own classmates, we were thirty four in the class. Okay, and five of us became priests. Okay, so uh, the vocations were pretty uh, flourishing. Um, until my time and maybe uh, three or four years behind me, after me. And and after that, I don't know whatever happened, the, the vocation slowed down and I haven't seen a, a, a ordination in my home parish in the last four or five years mm -hmm. now. Okay. It's slowing down. Gotcha. It's time to we pray for the vocations as yeah. well. Yeah, amen. Yeah, for uh, me, it'd be 
yeah, opening up the calendar every day, it's like, okay, what time is mass? Because um, sometimes it's a different time each day for me. But sure. uh, that's the first is like, yeah, because like what Father Rule is saying, it's kind of your, your center. It's what brings you uh, uh, the, the joy of the day and the peace of the day and, and looking for that moment. But also uh, one of the things I was thinking about is it reminds me that most of my encounter with uh, people occurs in the midst of that celebration mm -hmm. that the nice thing about being in a, a rural community is there's fewer families so it's pretty neat how you can encounter uh, people in different ways um, because you have that available to you more right and so you can encounter people all throughout uh, kind of things that they do things they enjoy what is part of their life uh, but still even with that like the eucharist is the place um, that People are coming together with you uh, to celebrate, and that means bringing it all—the the joys, the sorrows, and everything in between. Like, yeah, that's where you encounter them. So I mm -hmm. think of that as well. And what's your what's your prayer life look like? Because I think I think people in the world are like priests are just these these uh, these creatures, and they just levitate all day, and they just you know they listen to to chant all day and they're busy, you know, running around in their cassocks, ringing bells and stuff. So like, what's, what's your, uh, what's your prayer life actually look like? Still like the adoration time, uh, is, I, I just love that. And so we have opportunities for adoration and I, I try to make sure I'm, uh, they're present to that. Um, we're not able to do the perpetual, but just the moments that we can offer that and to be, I like to be with uh, others in the midst of that prayer. So that uh, is a big part of that, but still like having to kind of fight for that time too, because sure. there are, um, I think, yeah, people wonder if we're doing anything uh, throughout the day and right. like, what exactly do you do? Um, but you still, as a priest, very much have to kind of fight for that moment of rest and that moment of, of, uh, peace with the Lord mm. and to really to receive in that. Mm. So I've got to, I've got to jump in here. So I had the chance to go to seminary with father Quentin Schmitz at Kenrick in St. Louis. And, you know, for any of my brother priests that are, that were there, that are time overlapped, I, I just have to thank all of you for the reasons I want to thank father Quentin. So again, another major moment for me, a habit that was formed 14 years ago involved the daily holy hour. And this is now a non-negotiable. Right. And by no means is this something to celebrate or, to, to puff myself up, this is the medicine of immortality. Mm. As the church fathers describe it, I would be truly lost without it. Well, it began in a particular way through just the witness of landing at this seminary and finding a chapel full of a hundred men for an hour in the morning before daily mass. And one of those, one of the first to rise, Father Quentin Schmitz. So even as an older brother in seminary, his witness, I mean, just St. Paul VI, the witness of modern, mm -hmm. modern man is looking for witnesses, living witnesses, more than teachers. I, I just feel like my whole story has been one continuous overflow of living witnesses, focused missionaries, right. my father, seminarians, brother priests. So truly, I would also just offer that if you, you just never know brothers, um, brother priests, that is, just how your witness there in the chapel how that will spill over and inspire the faithful in ways, young men in ways that you just, we, we just, we forget. We can't even right. begin to imagine. Yeah. I remember going, I'm just going to adoration and, 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 and seeing a priest in there and you're like, yep, that makes sense. This makes sense. This is good. Our parish is blessed to have this ad perpetual adoration for the past 25 years. 
we had a climax of the Silver Jubilee celebrations past year. And it started way back in the, in the church. And back then we had to heat the whole church all 24-7. It was getting a little too much for us. So <laughs> finally we had to move into the near location. When we added onto the new school building, we made the Adoration Chapel part of that. And my life and this uh, history of this parish has been built around the devotion to the Eucharist. Mm. And God bless that we are able to continue that perpetual adoration. And, and that gives us a strength and I tell people, of all the things we have done in the parish, that I'm most proud of it is we have be able to continue the perpetual adoration mm. in this parish. Uh, and and for everybody listening, like you gotta, like you gotta see Saint P- Saint Peter and Paul Parish. This yeah. place is, I think, I think it's the prettiest church we've got in the diocese. Like next to Saint, is it Saint Benedict's down the road? Yes, it is. Uh, which is actually in the town of mm. Saint Mary's. Saint Mary's. And so there. many saints over here. I love it. Yeah, it's it's the size of a. Cathedral, but you just renovated um, St. Peter and Paul, right? It's been 10 years complete since we renovated the church. And the central theme of our renovation was, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, mm. which is inscribed in front of the altar. So good. Of course, li- written in Latin, et verbum caro factum. Mm. And, and it is built, this is where the sacrifice is making, and this is where the grace is flowing for all the people who are coming to witness the Eucharistic miracle in the church at every mass that is happening around. Right. What advice would you give to crazy busy parent? You know, someone, a uh, young adult, maybe he doesn't think they've got enough time um, or whatever, just a, a first step in, in getting in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, any advice there? So I can only begin with what led me to the Blessed Sacrament, which was my poverty. So I just remember for so much of my life, there was a sadness, there was a there was a poverty, there was just this void mm. in my heart and nothing could fill it. Not relationships, not work, not success on the soccer field. It just, nothing could fill this, this part of my heart. Right. And I just remember there was something about the silence of the chapel. At first, I just wanted to get up and run. But as I learned to lean into the silence of the chapel, slowly but surely by his grace, it's his grace alone, I began to to experience a living presence in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary. And at this point, all that I can say is it, if there's poverty in your heart, if there's loneliness or sadness or, or woundedness of any kind, I just would, I would offer trying to spend time in the blessed, in the presence of the blessed sacrament in the chapel before I would encourage you to go and get medication mm. before I would encourage you to go and talk to a counselor although it may be necessary to have someone walk with you. I mean, that was my story. Right. Like, what am I supposed to do in here? How am I supposed to spend my time? But at this point, I just wanna, I wanna offer this story. I just got back from the SEEK conference in St. Louis this past week. And one of the stories that one of the consecrated religious offered, it was a story of unforgiveness that someone had carried for decades of their life. Mm. And it was there in the chapel in the presence of the blessed sacrament with certainly with counseling and with encouragement through friendship that when this poor soul was finally able to extend forgiveness, mm-hmm. that the, the physical and the spiritual brokenness in their body, seemingly miraculous, was cured mm. in a way that the physicians themselves could not explain. Right. It's almost like there's something, there's a connection between our heart and our mind our body and our soul. And it's almost like unforgiveness can become like, like a buildup of, you know, it can become like the arteries are, they're clogged yeah, yeah, and the blood can't flow. 
And so I, I just feel that his presence there in the chapel is the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the Lord is, is good at healing everything. Uh, the, the, the physical maladies that come from the, the spiritual ones and, and vice versa. Um, I was gonna say, I could pick up kind of, cause when, uh, father Jamie was sharing, it made me think of, well, what got me started with adoration and, um, at the very beginning. And, uh, I immediately think of, well, it was the visits and, and, um, I mean, it took me quite a while to get to the point where I probably recognized, oh, there's a sign-up sheet here mm. and people have signed up for an hour to be here. Um, but for me, that wasn't how it started. It wasn't start, it didn't start with an hour. It started with, oh, I'm driving by the church and I got a few minutes. Why don't I just stop and uh, take some time for prayer? And then also when uh, often talking with, uh, younger kids about adoration, they're always wondering, what am I supposed to do here? Right, right. They're trying to figure that out. And it's like, open your heart, like whatever's there, like that's, that's what you place there. And that's uh, what you talk about. Um, so I, I think of those two things as well as father Jamie was sharing of like, you know, in many ways it's, it's really simple. It's just a, a simple visit or, um, opening our heart. Right. I get involved with our RCA program here in our parish, and I go through and follow their journey as well. And what a difference it makes when they go through the preparation and they, when they walk in the line for the very first time to receive the Eucharist, and I almost can see their hands are shivering mm. to receive the Lord. And I had uh, several conversations with them after the fact of uh, receiving the, the Eucharist. They said, it was one, one said it almost like being lifted up in the air physically mm. to be able to receive the Lord for the very first time and to be able to go through that powerful experience. And I want to go back to your question, what advice would you give to the parents, you say, to, and to their children? Mm-hmm. And this is what the experience of every time we walk in that line to receive the Eucharist should be. Lord, I am not worthy to participate, but say a word and my soul shall be healed. And, and the Eucharist that is we are taking to us is going to be the source of our entire day that we are going to live mm-hmm. from that moment on, which gives us the spiritual satisfaction and the energy. Like as Fazar said, any problem, we go to the Eucharist. And, and you know, in the parish life, there are challenges and struggles that we go through. And before I make any important decision in the parish for me or for the parish or for, for another family that I'm visiting with, and I go to the Lord and ask for the advice. And, and I ask for the strength, give me the courage and the strength so that I can make a wise and prudent decision which will impact the families and the parish community. And oftentimes I had gained the strength and the courage that I was able to receive from the adoration in front of the blessed sacrament. Mm. And I just want to, I want to go on record here. So Father Arul offered recently with Archbishop Nauman the most outstanding Eucharistic procession that I've ever been able to participate in Mm. here in the Archdiocese. Armies and armies of of parishioners of the faithful came. His parish was full. It's a big parish. We made our way down the the streets of Seneca to one of the parks nearby. And it was just the most wonderful opportunity that Father Arul boldly offered for his, for the faithful. Mm -hmm. So it just, I'm so edified by his witness here. It isn't just that there's beautiful liturgies or a magnificent church or an adoration chapel. He's also offered opportunities for the faithful to participate in a Eucharistic procession, which I intend to, to study and learn from, but it was in the course of that 
that Archbishop Nauman offered this beautiful insight from John Vianney, the patron of all parish priests, mm -hmm. his entire pastoral plan when he land, landed on the ground in ours was simply to foster devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. That was the pastoral plan. <laughs> so I'm just so grateful <laughs> that it. Father Arul offered this and Archbishop Nauman shared that because I just wrote everything down and was trying to take copious notes. How sure. can I, how can I beg, borrow and steal <laughs> from these guys? So good. It was a beautiful experience to walk along with the Archbishop and all the priests of the region were here. This was open to the entire region and each priest took a turn carrying that monstrance uh, leading from the church into the city park, which is about six blocks away from here. And and the, like the, the flow of the people and kneeling down for the adoration as we walked from street to street was an amazing experience for our, for our community. Praise the Lord. Um, so I, I want to I hear what you guys have to say with, um, uh, many of our listeners might be on the fence about the Eucharist, might be on the fence with our Lord and um, Him truly being there. Uh, what, what advice would you share to anybody who uh, might, having, might be having some doubts roll through their, their hearts and their heads? I would suggest that they just not look at the physical bread that is being presented to them and look, open up your the eyes of faith and look into the presence of Jesus. That is where we have seen a lot of the Eucharistic miracles, where they can see the blood, where they can see the image of Jesus, where they can feel, like I said, one of my RCA participants physically being lifted up in the air. And, and that kind of experience, you have to differentiate yourself and distinguishing that physical bread than the real presence, which in our theological language, we call the transubstantiation. But I want to be able to reach out to anyone just like an ordinary man experiencing, how do you explain to me this is the presence of the Jesus? And you cannot see it with eyes. You have to open your heart and welcome it as the Lord, the mm. presence of Jesus who came down the Christmas we just celebrated, the coming down of Jesus, that same Jesus is present in the Eucharist for us. Amen. Yeah, so I guess I want to offer another story. I hope you don't mind. I just That's what we're here for, I man. I just have stories and stories and stories to share. So I'm getting ready to take some students from Benedictine College to Poland on a pilgrimage where mm -hmm. we will visit Our Lady at Czestochowia, the Black Madonna, mm -hmm. as the Poles describe her. And we will also spend a great deal of time visiting John Paul II, his parish where he received his first Holy Communion, one of the brightest shining lights of the, of the 20th century, mm -hmm. was this wonderful man Carol Waitia, who became John Paul II. You know, there's stories from his life. Sometimes we need like a living witness. Right. There's stories from his life when he would visit a university or a seminary. There are true stories of them blocking off the entrance to the chapel because there was just no way the MC would call in advance. You've got to block this off. Don't let him find the chapel. Because if John Paul II finds the chapel, the entire itinerary is gone. It's shot. Because he will just break <laughs> with the plan, make his way into the presence of our Lord, lie prostrate and pray for hours. And so there's true stories and there are great examples of him making his way through these hallways in these seminaries or at these universities, places he's never been because he traveled more than all of the other Holy Fathers combined. Right. And he would stop in the middle of the hallway at times and he would turn and look at a bookshelf and he would look at those that were gathered and he would wave his finger with a smile and he would ask them to remove the bookshelf and he would, as if drawn by a magnet, right. would make his way into the chapel 
And guess what? The itinerary was shot. So, so good. you ask yourself, there are these wonderful, you know, John Paul II's of the world that we've all, we remember him unless we were born after 2005. Sure. What was it that drew him to the chapel? Why was he, why, why, why did this wonderful man who could have been so wounded and broken because of what he lived through, the death of his mother, the death of his father, the death of his only sibling before he was a young adult, having lived through the horror of World War II in Poland with the Nazis, and then having borne testimony that, sadly, the communists were worse. How does that young man grow up with such joy? What is the cause of your joy? And Carol Wojtyla would always unapologetically point to the chapel. Just every time I hear any story about JB2, uh, I'm just floored. Yeah, the whole move the bookshelf, because I know there's a door behind there, <laughs> and I know behind that door is our Lord, and you can take your itinerary and just tear it up now. So good. That's right. <laughs> so good. Mm. Father Schmitz, any, any advice to anybody on the fence? Yeah, uh, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, thinking through as well. And uh, thanks be to God, uh, my earliest memories um, have been the, a strong belief in the Eucharist, and I have no explanation behind it other than seeing it as gift. And I think of that as faith as well, and that it's it's gift. Um, but then I think of other areas where it's been a, a bigger struggle, and um, with that, I think of honest prayer. And so if somebody's struggling with it, make that the honest prayer and, and take it to the Lord and take it before the Lord. Because right. my experience of any struggles within any area of faith or belief usually get resolved when I, it can become a time of honest prayer. Right. And I mean, that's all we can give, right? I mean, if we're not being honest, we're being dishonest, right? So it's like the Lord just wants us as we are. He wants our... He wants our questions no matter how silly or weird that we may think they are. You know, he just wants us as we are. And he's going to honor our state. He's going to honor our season. And he's going to speak into it regardless. So good. I'm I'm inviting my parishioners to participate after receiving the Eucharist when everybody is settled down. Mm -hmm. And we brought back the prayer of the Anima Christi. Mm. And... It's been going on like for about a couple of months now. And I can see people praying it as their own personal prayer now, mm -hmm. even though we have a leader part and responding it to it. And it's, it just leads us into into the ambience of a, being the thankfulness for all the grace and blessing that we get into the, receiving the Eucharist. And, and the, the Anami Christi is the, the soul of Christ, uh, right? The body of Christ. Right. Um, so just the, uh, is it is it long? Is it short? Is it something... We printed on a prayer card. Okay. And it's like our prayer card as the one, one side of it is got the, uh, our parish prayer, which we start before the Mass. Gotcha. And we do this prayer after communion. And which has, I have seen people really experience the, the power of the Eucharist after receiving communion to be able to join in that prayer. Praise the Lord. And I remember as a child, we always pray that after communion, we have to kneel down, everybody kneel down. Until then, the communion is not complete mm. for us. Wow. We're trying to bring that back culture again. That's right. beautiful. Right. I think this would be a great time to transition into our second part of our conversation about uh, Sacramentum Caritatis, uh, this beautiful document written by the Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI. And I, and just for everyone's reference, like we, what better way to start than to honor our Holy Father who recently passed away? Um, and, and we're just going to 
we're just going to crack open this beautiful document even further. Today, we're going to work on paragraphs 34 through 51. So if you're reading along with us, those are the ones that we'll be plowing through. So again, the original intention of this document, and I quote, is to offer some basic directions aimed at renewed commitment to Eucharistic enthusiasm and fervor in the church. I want more fervor, you know? I want to burn with love for the Lord. I want that. And secondarily, to encourage all to deepen their understanding of the relationship between the Eucharistic mystery, the liturgical action, and the new spiritual worship, which derives from the Eucharist as the sacrament of charity. And this is this was written in 2007 to all the lay faithful, bishops, priests, religious, deacons, everybody. This was for everybody, the religious, uh, excuse me, the lay faithful. Well, let's get after it. Gentlemen, any of any just beautiful things that stuck out to you that really resonated with you, feel free to speak into that at leisure. So I certainly would love to just begin by naming that this this document was promulgated the year before I entered seminary. The very next year, Archbishop Nauman brought Father Quentin Schmitz and I and all the other seminarians of the Archdiocese to New York, hmm. where we were able to to participate in the Holy Father Benedict XVI's visit hmm. to the United States, and that was just such a joy and such a gift. So in a particular way, this document and the author himself, they hold a very real place in my heart. It wasn't for several more years before I actually sat down and read this document. Right. But one of the very first things I would love to name from the paragraphs that you've mentioned. Mm. So there's a quote, there's a quote from St. Augustine that his holiness cites mm -hmm. that very much reminds me of just the mystery of the incarnation. Why? the word became flesh, mm -hmm. not just to save us from sin and death and evil, but also that God might become, God became man, that man might become God. Mm -hmm. So this deification, which St. Peter speaks of in his in the New Testament in his letters, that's referenced a few other times. Well, in this document, the Holy Father, the late Holy Father references St. Augustine who seems to be speaking almost to this insight of the medicine of immortality, mm -hmm. the blessed, my favorite title for the blessed sacrament. It's a good one. And this, I love it. Yeah, this insight, exactly this insight from St. Augustine, which just kind of speaks to when we receive him, we become what we have received. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we become another Christ. Mm. So there is truly a transformation which the Lord desires which is why we simply cannot accept in the Catholic tradition that this is just a sign right. or a symbol that he desires union, friendship, and transformation. One of the things that uh, stood out to me was um, where he's talking about art. He talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. And we'd already talked about a lot of the churches around here, but I, I went to grade school and grew up around uh, St. Mary's Church in St. Benedict. And so was surrounded that uh, by that very early and, and really um, have just enjoyed going into churches all over and seeing uh, their beauty, uh, sometimes in simple form, sometimes very ornate, and also feel blessed. Um, we're right in the midst of working on one of the churches I'm in, but the other one has uh, just recently been built, and they found a, a very large altar that's in there. And it's a, a great blessing to pray with. And I'm just amazed at how, you know, what surrounds you with art just uh, enhances the liturgy and um, right. enhances the prayer. So that, yeah. tell us what makes, what makes St. Benedict's like special? 
Uh, the St. Mary's and St. Benedict. Is it St. Mary's and St. Benedict? Yeah. Oh, yes, I, I mixed it up. I messed it up last time. So, okay, yeah. please. So, Saint thank Mary's. you for correcting me. Uh, well, you can't look anywhere in that church without seeing an object of devotion, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in painting, stained glass. I don't have any idea how many statues are in that church, but yeah. a lot. And um, so just to, to take all that in, and even with structures, it's, um, I don't know, just high vaulted ceiling, right. um, the use of woodwork and everything and trim yeah. that just makes it uh, a, a special place to pray. So it's, it's one of those places where you, when you go, you, you can't help but just say, wow, like just wow. This place is wow. Words just fail. They fall short. Like the paintings on the ceiling, the, the statue party, like in the sanctuary, like I, it's, it's amazing. It really is. When the document came, I have been in this archdiocese maybe a year, a little more than a year. At that point, I had multiple parishes. I had three parishes, and I had three parish councils and three finance councils and three CCD programs and, and sacraments in three locations. And I didn't know how to react first, but then I found time to read the document. Then amazingly, there was something that happened during that time. We were not organized for our RCA program at that point of time. Maybe we might get one or two or depends on different part of the year and we still take them in and, and try to help them to right. get through, prepared, going through. Um, it was a family and the husband is a Catholic and the wife is not and they already had, I believe, three children at that point. And her main concern was uh, the Eucharist. Mm. She grew up in a Protestant faith mm. and where she was used to receiving communion, like as a common bread, whatever is left over, they put it back on the shelf. And and she was been asking me repeatedly, what difference does it make that you are believing in the real presence of Jesus? Can you explain me this one? Mm -hmm. And uh, I use some of those points, which uh, Father Quint and Father Quinton has been referencing here, the present, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And, and she wasn't convinced. And I lost the battle. She did not join the church at that particular year. Mm. Probably uh, I should have given her the whole document to read herself. I didn't do that. Mm. And eventually I accepted the will of the Lord. If it is meant to be, it will happen. If it is not, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But now to end the story, she did join the church later time. Hey, hey. <laughs> there you go. And that's why uh, the document may not have immediate effect on in itself, but uh, you try to talk to the people and explain that in the basis on the faith to the people who are struggling to believe. And especially as we talked earlier, those who are sitting on the fence, it might take time right. and we plant the seed. And even if the results is uh, different than what we expect to be, we'll leave it to the Lord right. and the Lord will take care of it. Yeah. There's this, there's this great insight from Bishop Barron, you would never start with the infield fly rule when you're trying to explain the game of baseball to someone. You would take them to Wrigley Field. He's a he's a Chicago Cubs fan. Chicago guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a Chicago guy. You you take him to Wrigley Field and you first expose them to the beauty and the mystery of this game. And there's just nothing quite like the experience of going to Wrigley Field for right. those that are Cubs fans. Yeah. So when I think about beauty mm. to to draw out more what yep. what Father Quentin Schmitz was was referencing with, with music and with art. And 
you know, I, beauty will save the world. I'm mm. utterly convinced of this, mm. that it's important to build beautiful spaces for friendship and good conversation. And if that's true, well, you better believe it's important to build the most beautiful spaces for divine worship. Yep. And that it is precisely when we look at the Old Testament, for example, you look at the detail that went into the Ark of the Covenant, Solomon's temple, they spared no expense. Right. How It's priceless when you're offering worship to the one through whom, by whom, and for whom you exist. Come on. And it's the beauty of these beautiful churches that are here, these St. Peter and Paul and St. Gregory's and Marysville and in even St. Mary's and St. Benedict, the beauty of these spaces, it draws you out of yourself. Yeah. And this is, I think, one of the, the first um, insights that when I, when I started getting hungry, mm. like what is going on during the mass and what's happening during the liturgy and what is my place in this? Mm. It was, it was when it was explained to me by wonderful priests that there's just this mystery at work at every mass that the Lord is, he is transcendent. He is holy other, right? He is not a part of his creation. He is beyond, but at the very same time, he is closer to us than we are to ourselves. So this transcendence and this imminence mm. that are at work simultaneously, well, I think that one of the ways that the faithful experience this is through beauty. Right. And Pope Benedict, he says, the truest beauty is the love of God who definitely revealed himself to us in the Paschal Mystery. That is the truest. Amen. And if I can just jump in here, because this that's what, like one of my three nuggets was paragraph 35. God allows himself to be glimpsed first in creation, in the beauty and harmony of the cosmos. Like if you get out, out of the city and whatever city you're in, just get out of it, go to the country and look up, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, especially in the wintertime when the skies are clear, there's nothing like it. And he continues this, that was not Pope Benedict, that was me. And he continues, he says, in the Old Testament, we see many signs of the grandeur of God's power as he manifests his glory and his wondrous deeds among the chosen people. Pointing to scripture in Exodus and, and Numbers, and he goes on, in the New Testament, this epiphany, this, this manifestation of, of God, right? Like that's what the word epiphany means, I think. Is that right? Yeah, not the- That not is a, right. Not a brain blast for any anybody who's ever seen Jimmy Neutron. Um, this, this epiphany of beauty reaches definite fulfillment in God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Christ is the full manifestation of the glory of God. There's nothing more beautiful than the love of God. And I just wanna submit like there's not, we shouldn't be surprised um, if we don't understand something completely. Like how many things do we really understand? Like, sure, if you, you, you could understand your car completely if you went to mechanic school and like, you know, whatever, took it apart and put it back together like 10 times over maybe, but like not understanding something completely shouldn't, it, it, it doesn't discredit us from trusting it and, and believing in its like uh, its function uh, for us uh, to, to believe in its its value, right? So I think uh, encountering God just and learning who he is, it's, it's not gonna fit in our box of understanding. Like it's, he's beyond, but he's within too. It's like seeing a waterfall I mean, wow, that's beautiful. And then going and trying to drink the entire waterfall. Well, one, that's kind of an impractical example, but you, you get my idea. Like you can't do that. You can't do it. You can take a drink, but the Lord, he's just going to pour out in abundance. Like he doesn't stop pouring. The Lord never stops pouring and just 
dousing us with his grace. But it's an invitation to wonder and awe and to behold the Lamb of God. Behold he who is. Behold he who has been and behold he who will be forever and ever. Come on, that gets me so pumped. Absolutely. You know, I, I think about Lee, just we can observe another person. We can observe how they act, how they speak, how they carry themselves, their disposition, their body language. But the person must choose to reveal themselves. Mm. And it's only then that I can get to know the deepest center of the person. And it's the same with our Lord through the mystery of what's happening at the Mass. Mm. There is, yes, the ability to observe the movements, the gestures, the sacred rites, the genuflecting and the standing and the, and the sitting, but it is only when we ask the one through whom the mass is offered and by whom and for whom the mass is offered to reveal himself to us that things really begin to light up. Right. And just going back to the honesty and prayer thing, like if you're still waiting for that encounter moment, uh, maybe you were raised in the faith. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you've hit a plateau, you feel like, or whatever. Um, just ask Jesus to show himself to you. He's going to get you. He'll get you. He loves the quiet whisper of the silent, of the silent moment, uh, like Elijah in the cave, right? Uh, but he also, I said this last time, but like he, he's not afraid to speak in two by fours either. You know, he's, if he's got to throw down, he's going to throw down in a, the most charitable and loving way that uh, we could ever imagine. So just ask and you shall receive. In my name, you're going to get it. That's basically our Catholic faith. We believe in the power of the Eucharist, which leads our life. And like you watch anyone coming to the Mass, they are there for a reason. Mm. And especially I'm more amazed to the, the faith of our little farming community here. They are so super busy. It sometimes when you uh, work with the livestock, you have to be there every day. There is no vacation thing called for them in their life, but they will find a time to go to the mass. And depending on the different timings we have in, within the area, mm -hmm. and I do get we have our standard timings, and I do get people from the other parishes come. And I, when I see them walking into the church, and then they have to leave right away to take care of the rest of the business the amount of faith they have to make that time possible to come walk right. into the church and receive that Eucharist until then their life is not complete. Right. And you can see that faith being practiced in that in our community, which actually edifies me in my own faith. And sometimes it challenges me. Do you have faith like some of those farmers have here? Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I just think the, uh, the, like the, the simplicity of, of faith is, I just feel like the Lord, you know, he says, if you have a, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, right? Um, like he doesn't ask for us to have a ton of faith. It doesn't take a ton of faith. Like otherwise he would have said so, but a pure faith, a pure faith, a small amount of something pure can go like an infinity of, of distance. It's just, it's. Um, well, I kind of was, I was thinking my next yeah, uh, part in there um, because Father Jamie just listed a bunch of the, various kinds of languages that he referenced in yeah, there. Yeah. And uh, one of those that stood out to me was the language of silence. And mm -hmm. you kind of, I think, mentioned that a little bit um, just a little while ago. And um, I think then of later in the document, when he comes back to 
the time of meditation after receiving the Eucharist. And I think of, um, uh, I know Father Jamie earlier was talking a lot about, and all of us, about witness of people in our lives. And one of the persons I immediately think of is Father Albert uh, Fay. God rest his soul. He used to be at Sacred Heart in Bayleville. And I was around him more when I moved back from college. But um, he had, before I left for seminary, had celebrated his 60th year as a priest. And I just um, was always amazed by his witness. But one of the parts that I think at times confused people because um, I think sometimes silence can be awkward. Um, Definitely. <laughs> and so he was known for after communion sitting down. And um, I think a lot of people thought he fell asleep because uh, he would close his eyes and his head would go down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you wondered if he was going to get back up. Um, but it was always uh, very interesting, you know, later coming and, you know, reading this document immediately brings that back to my memory of this priest, you know, serving into his 80s uh, right. and just doing a beautiful ministry. But his um, love for that particular time that Pope Benedict talks about, mm -hmm. uh, the time after uh, receiving the Eucharist and to receive in the quiet and in the silence. And that's part of God's language. Yeah. Um, in, in my youth ministry days, we'd tell the kids that the, the mass is a prayer to the father through the son by the power of the Holy spirit. I mean, grain of salt with the word power, but you, you get the gist of it. It's like when we receive the Eucharist in communion, the, the, the time following is so potent, so powerful because like that's Jesus is literally within us. And, uh, if we let him like Jesus can pray through us, through us and with us and in us. And we can give glory to the Father in that. It doesn't have to just be a, a litany of thank you, but thank you should definitely be in that list. Like, but like anything that we ask in that moment is has a unique potency to it because it's Jesus, Jesus within us, physically within us, uh, interceding on our behalf to the Father. It's 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 next level. You know, Lee, I have to to follow up on what you just shared. So, in the same way that in the art of dating. Like there's, there's meant to be a friendship that gives rise to a courtship that gives rise to exclusive dating that gives mm -hmm. rise to, to commitment. Mm -hmm. So when I think about how much it must mean to all of our listeners out there that have children, you know, especially if you have a daughter, you know, how much more does it mean to you for the young man to get out of the car, come to the door, take the time to actually ring the doorbell, have you receive him, shake your hand, look you in the eye these gestures, they matter. If, 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 how much different is it for him to, when he brings her home to walk her to the, after having opened the door for your daughter to then walk her to the front door, right? I mean, these are moments that would have just meant the world to me if I was a natural father and I had a daughter. Sure. So I think by way of comparison, I realize this is, this can be a point of contention. It can be uncomfortable for some, and I don't want it to be divisive in any way. Sure. I have, encouraged all of the faithful to kneel for Holy Communion. And you ask, well, why would you do this? Well, for the same reason it means the world to me, if the young man takes the time to show his respect and devotion to my daughter mm. by opening the door, coming to the front door, shaking my hand. So this is just, this is one expression, kneeling for Holy Communion. Not everyone can, sure. and not everyone's able, and some just frankly don't want to, and that's okay. But what I have found for all of my brother priests out there, this has fostered a greater devotion in my three parishes 
than I've ever seen. Mm. Because it's drawing attention to the sacred moment of receiving the blessed sacrament. Right. And if the one by whose name alone we are told, every knee will bend. If, the, if that one <laughs> is making himself present in the blessed sacrament, doesn't it seem fitting if his name will draw us to kneel, mm. that we would consider kneeling to receive the bridegroom mm. in that sacred act of Holy Communion. Paragraph 36 got me. I don't know about you guys. I'm just going through my greatest hits here. Uh, <laughs> paragraph 36, uh, Pope Benedict says this. He says, not only have we become Christians, we have become Christ himself. We can thus contemplate God's mysterious work, which brings about a profound unity between ourselves and the Lord Jesus. One should not believe that Christ is in the head, but not in the body. Rather, he is complete in the head and in the body. And for, this just really got me because like there is, there's no separation in communion. There's no, there's no disunity in unity. You know, if Jesus says something it is, then it is. And if something is bound, it is bound. If something is over, it is over. If something has begun, it is, it has begun. You know, if there is no fruit that shall come forth from this tree, no more, that tree won't, no more fruit. Like if, if the waves are to be parted, they will be parted, you know, like, and I just, the, the transformation of the Christian life is a, a transformation into Jesus Christ himself, right? It's, it's a theosis in the Eastern, uh, our Eastern brothers and sisters call it uh, theosis. Uh, the deification that I think Jamie, Father Jamie, you, you spoke to earlier, um, the process of becoming Jesus little by little, not because Jesus is acting little by little, uh, because he he only does things in infinite amount, like all the time, um, uh, with respect to our inability to comprehend the majesty of what is actually taking place. And it's like medicine, like you said, because it's a, it's a gradual, piece by piece, little by little, day by day, moment by moment, uh, transformation to restored health. Um, and I just love the imagery that Jesus has espoused himself to us. You know, he's, he's been, I'm, I'm yours, you are mine, not just corporately, but individually as well. I think this, of course, takes on a, an elevated meaning with our, our, our religious brothers and sisters who have consecrated themselves to the Lord and to you, priests, um, in, in a unique way. Jesus has, has found me. He's looked at me and he's given me his attention. He's, he's, uh, he's gazing upon me and he says, I want you. I want you. Just you and everybody else. But right now, I just want you. Yeah, man has many names for God, many given to us by God himself through the course of history. And similarly, Jesus, he looks upon us and he gives us a name. He gives us names. He calls us individually, my child. And yet at the same time, my brother, my sister, in the same breath saying, my, my daughter, my son, my beloved, my pearl of great price, who I've, I've sold everything for you. Uh, my precious gem, unrepeatable, you. I'm amazed how much of a meaning is packed in that little passage that right. we just read through now. And the most challenging word for me as I read through that document is, uh, do you become Christ every day in your life? And like uh, when we, we can call ourselves Christians by the fact that we are baptized and we take the name of Christ into us and, and it's an automatic thing we go through. And it's a challenge for me every day to see, am I becoming the Christ to me, to the people I'm interested to 
serve it. And the people who are looking for me, for my influence or for my spiritual guidance into them. Right. And that is like, a, when we go through our challenges and weaknesses, we are not. Mm. We need that grace and strength. Where does that grace come from? It comes only from the Eucharist. You have to go and get that, that grace from the Eucharist, then you can become like Christ. When you receive the Eucharist, then you can radiate that Christ light and Christ energy into, the, into your personal life, into your ministry that you're mm. caring for. And sometimes we, that is where our Catholic faith is challenged. And one time I remember Gandhi saying this one, I like Christ, but not Christians. Mm. Where have we failed? We are not able to radiate that Christness into us, into the people we come in contact through our daily life. Mm. And that is why it is very important for our Catholic faith that we become like Christ not just being a Christians. Anyone can become a Christian. To become Christ-like takes a lifetime commitment, and it is our personal faith, and it is the life that we choose to live. Mm -hmm. And especially for us, we're called to be the ministers of the priests and as the document challenges in a more speci specific way. Everything matters to us, the way we lead our lifestyle, right. the way we walk and we talk, and, and, our, and we have to be the good influence to the people, and especially in our Saints Peter Parish, we have a Catholic school and we have a lot of youth uh, in our community. And they look up to me. They look up to any of the priests. And, and we have to be able to lead the, our, our future generation into that faith. Mm -hmm. And becoming Christ is an example how we become a good example to this younger generation right. in our communities. You know, listening to you guys share these beautiful sentiments of your devotion and your obvious faith, it reminds me of two of my favorite verses out of the Gospel of John, which I think both can be brought back to the Blessed Sacrament, to the real presence, to the Eucharist. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And the second quote, I will not leave you as orphans. Mm. What is the great confirmation of that statement? His presence in the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. We have not been left as orphans. Yeah, he's always there. The manifestation of the promise present to us at all times. Yeah. Well, I suppose sticking with beauty and sticking with some of the very real examples of just relationships, friendship, dating, I, I would hope that any of our listeners, that the Lord has provided someone in your life who is witnessing to a beautiful faith and devotion towards Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, and that this, this draws you, my, my prayer would be that this would stir your heart and draw you to desire the same in the same way that we all have friends in our lives who have relationships. Some, some of these friendships are wholesome and they inspire us. They take our breath away. Some of these relationships are anything but, and we pray that we never settle for anything like them. Well, in the same way, I just pray that any of our listeners out there, that, that the Lord would open your eyes to the witness of someone in your in your circle, whether it's someone you work with, someone you your children go to school with, one of their parents, maybe a friend, a family member, that there's someone in your life who is bearing witness to a beautiful friendship with Jesus, and that this would this would move your heart, this would stir you um, to the recognition that He desires nothing less than the same with you, that you might be, in the words of Saint Irenaeus of Lyon that Jesus Christ is man fully alive and that you would never never settle for anything less than the pursuit of that statement. Mm. 
we all talked about experiencing that silence, the power of the Eucharist. Where can you find that the silence? Is like we often go to them. We regularly go to practice the mass one hour a week. And if someone is going on just on the weekend, some do prefer to go to on daily mass as well. With all the hustle and bustle and the business going on before and after mass, we sometimes find the the ambience to find that silence in us. That's why I strongly encourage our listeners to find that time for silence. One of the best places is to go to the Adoration Chapel. If you have in your parish or if you have in your neighborhood somewhere, find that time and go and be in that Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. You will experience that personal intimacy, one with the Eucharistic Lord. That experience and that moment of silence, that one hour that you're going to spend in the whole week, is going to be the most powerful investment that you're going to make on your spiritual journey. I think uh, Father Jamie said it multiple uh, times here, good conversation. Uh, I think he probably has heard uh, Mike Churchlick's Rosary podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's used often, mm-hmm. but it reminds me of just our time here together today and how it is. Yeah, it's just uplifting. And um, uh, even though like uh, Father Jamie and myself were in the same prayer group, so I've heard many of his experiences. But even today with the Eucharist, I think I probably encountered something different. Father Rule, we've been around each other for a while now, too. And it was neat to hear uh, parts of his story. And I think uh, for uh, people listening to that, uh, to this uh, podcast would be, um, you know, share uh, part of your story of the Eucharist with somebody. And maybe it's a beautiful moment or maybe it's the doubt, like to Mm -hmm. share that so somebody else can take that to prayer as well. So I think it's all important, but just to be able to receive and to offer that uh, to another. So good. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your yes to be on uh, the show today. Thank you for, um, thank you for your your fatherhood. Thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your leadership and uh, for your for your fiat for your willingness to shepherd uh, your flocks where you are. Thank you for your living sacrifice of your life and for your ministry. Um, I know I know many have been blessed and will be blessed through your lives. So just thank you and and thank you again for just. Um, it's because of you and because of your yes that we have Jesus in the Eucharist here. And I hope this Eucharistic revival brings more vocations to the Catholic faith. At one time, this parish had three resident priests and we need more of the men to say yes to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, and, and just uh, in closing here, I want to point everybody to our uh, the Archdiocesan Revival website. If you want to learn more, there's prayer resources for you. If you're a priest or a deacon listening to this, we have preaching resources for you if you want to, to dive into some uh, Eucharistic-focused preaching initiatives at your parish. Um, prayer resources, formation resources, anything that you want. Um, and you can send, a me- send us a message on uh, that website um, platform as well. It's archkck.org slash revival, and you'll be able to see that. Um, Father, will, will you give us a, a closing blessing? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Peace be with you. Amen. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for this beautiful time, inviting all our listeners to join us into this powerful experience of prayer. And as we go through sharing our personal experience, one encounter with the Lord, and we ask you to give blessings to all our listeners, their families, their blessings, whatever their needs, and help us to go through finding that Jesus in the Eucharist and going through that moment of silence and experience that oneness with the Lord, we ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you.